a consistent basis. So we need to go there. Um, Let me read something to you. I know you've heard it before. It says, do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. I know you've heard this poem before. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. This is a poem by a Welsh poet named Dylan Thomas. And the reason I remember it uh, is because it's the only poem in high school that affected me. I I remember that poem out of everything that I was supposed to memorize, supposed to write a contrast between that young Goodman Brown and everything else. This is the only one I remember. And here's the reason why. Because this poem is... It just made me think about my own mortality. Right? My parents were older too. So this kind of resonated with me. And how this person, how Dylan Thomas engaged death was, um, was bizarre to me. So I had to think about my own mortality. What is death? So uh, stick with me. What if I told you that thinking about death now is critical? Um, Thinking about death now is necessary if you're going to live life well. You've got to do that. And and I know that you've thought about it, but it's something that we tend to not do. And and just heads up, this this is going to be painful. um, But more so, this is a grace. It's in here for a reason. God put this in his word for a very specific reason. He wants to get our attention to it. And honestly, we tend to do this. We spend our lives pursuing things that are uncertain. We do. Things that may or may not happen. Uh, and while doing that, we also tend to ignore things that are absolutely certain. Going to happen. Death. So that's where the text goes today, and that's where we're going. And the more I've read Ecclesiastes, the more I've read this book, and it's a tough one, I'm convinced that one of the reasons that it's written, one of the reasons Solomon put it down, pen on paper, is because he wants to make sure that we have no illusions about being the sovereign God of our own life. He wants us to see that. He wants us to see that there is absolutely no way that you can live as the sovereign of your entire life, to live in control over it. Uh, Meaning this, that we will be able to manufacture meaning, purpose, value, dignity, and happiness in our own lives, on our own terms. He wants us to see that, and he's, he's done a, just a, a terrific job of that. And the whole book, Ecclesiastes, spins on this one question, and we're going back there. Is your life gain, or is it a gift? Is your life gain, meaning this, with the things that you have in your life, your gifts, your skills, your circumstances, where God put you in time and in your family, uh, the job that you have, is this meant for your gain? Are you meant to take what God has given you and div- and Find purpose and value and live well and to make a good life out of what you have. Are you supposed to find meaning out of that? Or is life a gift? You don't really have control over it. You didn't knock on the womb and say, let me out. It's a gift. You receive it, period. How we understand life, whether it's a gift or gain, is going to be the lens through which we live. So very important. Uh, Here's what we've learned so far in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Life doesn't add up. We saw that. I don't care how you make the equation. Life doesn't add up. Things happen in your life that make life seem senseless. 
And one of the times, it is death. And last week, um, we learned this. Fear is a choice. There's a lot of things you don't get a choice of in life, but here's one that you do. You get to choose what to fear. Today, we're going to talk about um, death. So here we go. This is me in chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. Follow me. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil that all is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all, that is death. Also, the hearts of the children of men are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more since no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because this is your portion in life. And in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you're going. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen To them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of men are snared in an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Dear Heavenly Father, this just resonates. I thank you and praise you that you put into your word for us as you reveal yourself to us things that we've already thought. Suspicions that we've already had. And God, your word is holy and it is true, Lord. So I pray that you would open it up for us today that we might behold its treasure. And also I pray that you would open us up that your word might read us, read our hearts, Lord. Bring us repentance where we need it. Bring us comfort and encouragement. Bring us salvation, Lord. So we lift this time up to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the the text is asking us a question. Are you ready to go? And how do we do that? Right? We're, we're, most of us are in the stage. I'll, I'll put myself outside of that. But most of us are in the stage of building life. So the last thing that you want to think about is death. It just doesn't make sense. In fact, it's kind of morose. But the text is telling us to prepare for your death 
It doesn't tell us how, though. Prepare for your death by, in some ways, embracing life. So we're going to expand on that. We're going to let the text show us what that means. To prepare for death by embracing life. Uh, And I think the text does a good job of it. And it walks us through in through three kind of stages of what it looks like to prepare for death. The first one is this, your life ends. It's very clear up front. The second is your life is a gift. And the last is your life begins at death. I know that doesn't make sense yet. Walk with me through the text. God has a story for us here. So what does it mean to prepare for your death by embracing life? And remember this as we walk through this. Solomon is digging up questions that he never fully answers. He's going to dig up things and then show you and then walk away. He does it all the time. His goal is not to give you a complete answer, but to unsettle you and to make you let go of this white knuckle grip you have on trying to control your life and trying to get gain out of it. He wants us to receive it as a gift. This is one of the reasons why you see the word vanity or useless. Life seems solid and like something we can build a foundation on, but then it just disappears like morning fog and like mist, and we're standing there. So we have to open up the rest of God's story as God reveals it to us in the Bible. We'll do that today. So the first is this, preparing for your death. Preparing for your death by embracing life. Well, we need to understand life. So the first is this. Your life ends. Your days are numbered. Mine too. Um, My dad, every dad has dad wisdom. They say these things that they kind of make sense, uh, not so much when you're younger, but they kind of drive you crazy. And this is one of the things that my dad would say. And again, he was older. He was like 40 years old when I was born, maybe 41. And he would say, hey, boy, nobody gets out of this world alive. Nobody gets out of this world alive. I was like, yeah, okay. Uh, and he would, then he would kind of expound on that and say, you know, there's going to come a day when I'm not here. Imagine your dad telling you this. You need to like step up and learn how to do some of these things. I'd be like, hey, great talk, but can you fix my car? Right? But dads do this. Uh, at least my dad did. Nobody gets out of this world alive. It is so true. This is for us too. Now, culture tends to push on this uh, in just ways that don't even make sense. Uh, this is how our culture views death in general. We ignore death. We don't want to talk about death for the obvious reasons. Um, in, in fact, and when you have a culture that does that, we kind of idolize youth. We idolize youth. In fact, we will actually celebrate a self-centered life. I, I, here's some of the things that we do as a culture. I mean, we spent $16 billion on plastic surgery. We're ignoring death. Um, We're wrapped up on body image. We ignore the elderly. They don't really have a place in our society anymore, right? We put them on the fringes, put them in places that we don't have to see them. We conceal death. So just know this. As a culture, we, in this room, are not comfortable with talking about death. Now, we can overfocus on it. I'm just going to get this out of the bag, but so I'm going to spend the entire sermon telling you that we don't focus on death so we don't understand life. But there's a way to focus too much on death. I'll tell you that. You can be overly obsessed with death. And if you are having ideas about hurting yourself or about um, killing yourself, I'm just going to tell you this right now. That's, that's not healthy. That's not good. And you need to talk to somebody about it. Come grab me. Come grab a pastor. Talk to your community group leader. Um, This is not, yeah, don't do that. That's not good. This is not what we're talking about. But we need to understand death. Verse 2 kind of lays it out for us. He says, the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked. They go to the dead. 
So this is just unacceptable for Solomon. He just doesn't understand why this is true. Not necessarily that we die, but it doesn't really matter who you are. You can just die in an instant. You can, just like a fish gets caught in a net, um, he has a hard time understanding this. Now, we live a long time when you think about history. Um, lifespan has doubled, right, in the last few hundred years. But we don't use our time well. We use our time and our space to ignore that we're going to die. So we're going to consider death. Your life ends. So let's, let's just look at what death is. But you picked the wrong day to come to church. Okay. Um, I'm like, listen, I'm looking at my notes going, wow, this is, wow. What is death? Well, first of this, death is horrific. Can I tell you that? Death is awful. Your soul was never meant to separate from your body. It wasn't made for that. And I don't care if you're a believer or an unbeliever. Death is painful. It's terrifying. It's scary. Uh, you were never meant to go through it. Uh, so it's bad. It's a complete aberration of life. So know that. Death is awful. Death is awful. And if everybody watched somebody die, you know it's true. Um, Mufasa lied to Simba. I'm just going to call out Mufasa right now. Death is not normal. It's not good. Everybody knows something's horribly wrong in the world when everybody has this in common. We're going to be separated from everything good that we love. Death is happening. So it's, it's horribly wrong. Secondly, death is separation. If you think about what death really is, it's separation from everything that you love and you hope for. Uh, verse 5, but the dead know nothing. They have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Key word. Remember, Solomon is not talking about what is beyond life. He doesn't care. Ecclesiastes is not talking about that. So we, try, we always try to import, like, well, what about heaven? What about, yeah, that, he just doesn't care right now. His epistemology is what I see. I'm evaluating from my perspective, bottom up, and this is what I see. Um, when you die, your hopes and your dreams are gone. It doesn't really matter. Nobody f- remembers you. So let's do a little test. Who remembers the names of all of their great-grandparents? One, two, three. I'm just going to triple that. Nine, ten, maybe? Most of us don't. Why is that? When you're gone, you're forgotten. It's, it's how it works. You, you will not be remembered. Can I say, even if you're great, you won't be remembered for long. And, if we understand this text well, your deepest longings and your desires, the, the desires of your heart will be buried with you. And that's harsh. Especially when culture tells us those are the most important things about you. Your innermost desires and your thoughts and your feelings. And he says we go to Sheol. What is that? Um, in the Old Testament, normally Sheol, it's the realm of the dead. But it's, it's where people go who are separated from God. Um, the New Testament calls this hell. Um, it's just eternal separation uh, from the person of God, from everything good. So it's not good. Um, so what is death? Lastly, death is judgment. Um, Ecclesiastes 9.3 says this. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. Now, when you hear that, you go, yeah, that's true, but it just ain't me. You're always going to do that. You know, yes, there's a lot of evil in this world, and that's why I come to church, because I'm one of the good people. 
You're just not, friend. You, you are not, Christians are not the good people. God doesn't love you because you've read his Bible and you're trying to live by it. That is not what the gospel is. We have to understand the wickedness that we see. Um, we are very much a part of that. And when we demand justice, we, it's dangerous because we live before a just God. Um, he is much more just than you are and that we are. So it is judgment. Um, a couple of chapters earlier in Ecclesiastes 7.20, uh, he's a little more clear. He says, surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. So when you think about righteousness or your personal righteousness, stop thinking about other people. It's never horizontal. Think vertical. Think about how do I measure up to how God made me? Am I loving like him? Am I merciful like him? Am I ready to give him an answer um, for my life? Now, Paul picks this up on this in Romans 6, 23, where he says the wages of sin, that's the check you get written to you, like what you earn, the wages of sin, uh, which is, is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's an understanding that death is judgment. And we don't want this. We, we do not want this. This flies in the face of everything that we want. Like, A, I don't know that God has the right to tell me how to live. B, um, I, I'm not dying because there's something wrong with me. But as we understand the story of redemption, that's exactly why you're dying. Because we are, we do not want, we do not want God. So there's that. Um, death undermines everything that we have. Undermines all security. All of it. Um, if you believe psychologists, it's why you fear. Listen, our hope is in tomorrow. We know that. That's how humans work. If you plant your hope in what you're going to earn for yourself, what you're going to get, if you plant your hope in tomorrow, understand this, friend. There's going to come a day when you have no more tomorrows. Right? And today you're one step closer. That, that's just true. We have to own up to that. Your life does end. So as we move on from this, um, can I just ask you a question? Is God's grace and his love for you is that so real that you can just look death in the eyes and not flinch? Could you sit down with the Grim Reaper and have a staring contest and win it? Or are you, you're like, no, I'm looking away now. I that's a dumb question. I don't even want to think about that. So think about that. Are you ready for that? Secondly, so um, if your life ends, okay, there's more to the story. And it's, it's, it's this. Second point is your life is a gift. Understanding that you're going to lose your life at some point makes this come into focus very well. Your life is a gift. Um, man, if you, if you did die today, what would you regret the most? Think about that. It's probably not going to be that you're 10 days late already on the project that you didn't work on over the weekend. But I bet you your biggest regret is going to be how you spent your time. I know it will be. Because time is finite. Uh, listen to what he says, verses 7 through 9. Wrap your head around this. Go eat your bread with joy. And drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Some people try to stretch this and to mean that, hey, um, justification. You're justified before God if good things happen in your life? Absolutely not. No. 
you cannot take your circumstances and extrapolate it out into how this is how God feels about you. That doesn't work for anyone. What he's saying is just simple wisdom. If God has blessed you, you're kind of a fool if you don't enjoy it. If God has given you a life and you don't enjoy it, something's horribly wrong. If God has, has made the lines pleasant in your life, given you things, a wife, a job, a life, friends, wine, and bread, and you can't accept those as God's good gift, there's a problem. We're misunderstanding that our life is a gift. And it is. It's a gift. And he goes on, let your garments always be white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. These are words in the Old Testament of celebration. We're to embrace life. Sometimes as believers, we get so wrapped up in heaven, we're just no earthly good. Are you earthly good to your neighbors? Do they see you as somebody who loves life and who celebrates what you have? And he goes on, enjoy life with a wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. Of course, he throws that in there. That he has given you under the sun because that's your portion. In fact, some people think he's being sarcastic. I don't think he is. I, was thinking, he's, I think he's saying, hey, your life is going to be senseless in some regards. So, man, are you wasting your time? Are you not enjoying, are you not enjoying what God has given you? Um, when you consider that before these verses to enjoy life, we, we see him say, hey, your life is going to end. One of two things here. The command to enjoy life is just insanity or it's brilliant. I believe it's brilliant. Um, life is a gift. Uh, there's a book called Happiness Hypothesis by Jonathan Haidt. Um, he says a lot of weird things in there, but one of the things he says, um, it's not a Christian book, uh, but he says there's this thing that happens in, with people called the striver mentality. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Um, you can't rest. Uh, life is a series for you of unending goals and challenges and accomplishments, and you never stop. You never arrive. So you, as a striver, refuse to enjoy where you are because you haven't got where you're going. And the problem is you never get where you're going. When you accomplish one thing, you're already planning and executing on the next plan. The striver mentality is just, it's, it's lunacy. I mean, I love type A people, and I'm one of you. But when you, re- you just refuse to enjoy where God has placed you, that is, is it's tyranny in and of itself. Uh, and here's what Solomon would tell us. Well, the only place you're only going to fully arrive is your own grave. So learn that. Learn that. Learn that. Now, there's two, just, two ditches that we can swerve into as we think through this text, especially to enjoy life. Um, we can try to find gain or make life work um, in two ways. One is by achievement and acquisition. Um, you'll try to enjoy life only as you achieve things, only as you achieve your life plan, always, only as you um, gain things, as you build things into your life through acquisition and purchases and things that you get because you're succeeding and doing well. That's a ditch. You, you know it is. We've read that in Ecclesiastes. But here's another way that you try to build gain in your life. Another way you try to take the gift that God has given you and own it for yourself. Um, you try to avoid the pain of life. You try to avoid the frustration of life just by living for the moment. It sounds good. So think Corona commercial. This is a good um, gospel of that. Hey, life is short, right? Get the line, put in the Corona. Summer's here. Let's enjoy it. Now, I like that. 
But if that's how you deal with the frustration of the life, if that's how you deal with the fact that life never really works out, and you know somewhere in the back of your head there's going to come a day when your life is over, uh, then that's a ditch. That's not what he's telling us. He's not saying, hey, enjoy life because it's going to be over someday. And he's not saying, um, try to earn your value and your dignity and your position and your worth through what you've earned in life, in your reputation, in your success. Now, he has great skill to talk about this because he's coming at you from the position of a king. He's got it. You're not going to exceed him. And he's telling you this. So let's take a test for a minute. Um, If you can't enjoy the life that God's given you, it's probably because you're using the life that God give you to, to gain something. Honestly, I'm glad I'm alive because I'm going to get something. I'm going to gain it. You see your career as a way to create worth and meaning. And that can happen in a million different ways. For some people, it's because I'm getting money and it protects me. For some people, it's because I'm building a reputation. And if that's the case, you're never going to enjoy it for long. All right? This is one example he gives us. Secondly, let's test this. Can you enjoy your marriage? Because if not, I guarantee you, you're using your spouse to get something. You're using your spouse to gain something. And in marriage, it's usually you're using your marriage as a way to build your own happiness. This doesn't work out. You're using it for gain. See, you can only really enjoy the things you do not worship. You can only enjoy created things under the sun. You can only enjoy these things when you don't worship them. Here's what I mean. Um, The Old Testament talks a lot about idolatry and false worship, and it's when you make a good thing a God thing. When you take something that's very good, like marriage, and you say, this marriage is going to complete me. This marriage is going to make my life make sense. This relationship is everything to me. And you'll know that's true of you because your emotional response to things not going well is way out of balance. Uh, Another example, I'm just going to use what the text uses is work. Like, if you get a bad performance review, it's not that you're like, oh man, I have to work harder. You're crushed. If you get jumped over for a promotion, the pain is searing. Like, the whole idea that don't let success go to your head and don't let failure go to your heart, that just isn't there for you. So, You can only enjoy things that you're not worshiping because we're designed to worship God. We're designed to let him, to make him be ultimate in our lives. And if we're going to do that, you have to know that you're receiving life as a gift. He's given it to you. And when you have pleasure, man, it calls you up. When you enjoy something, don't make it your God. Praise God. Can you do that? When you enjoy something, enjoy it. Yeah, get push into that. Put your lime in your corona, but praise God for the lime. That's all I can say. We're recording this. Praise him. Enjoy him. Pleasure calls you to gratitude. I love this quote um, that I ran across in studying for Ecclesiastes by Karl Barth, an old theologian. He said, joy is the simplest form of gratitude. When you enjoy what God has given you, it's, you're showing gratitude. Enjoy it. Um, let pleasure call you upward to the giver. Because here's what's going to happen. 
as you start to praise God and give him thanks for what he's given you, you will start remembering a world you've never seen before. You will start thinking, I've been there. You'll start longing for something, a place you've never been. That, my friends, is the call of God. That's what God is calling us to. Um, That's longing for heaven. So, your life is a gift. Um, Imagine this for a minute. Let's imagine you and your friend are going to fly to Paris. Because who doesn't want to do that, right? So you're going to fly to Paris. You leave Dulles International Airport. You're going to Charles de Gaulle Airport. um, And (laughs) you're in the back of the airplane. You're sitting in the middle seat between two people next to the bathroom. It's noisy. It's a bad seat. But you're like, hey, I'm going to Paris. Now, your friend, who you happen to be insanely jealous of, got a free upgrade for whatever reason. They're in first class. They're drinking for free. They're having fun. They're loving the trip. I know this has happened to some of you. This is what's happening. Now, let's imagine, for whatever reason, the engines on this plane flame out. And it starts a descent. And here's what's going to happen. This plane is going to crash somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic. How much sense does it make for you to worry about the fact that you're not in first class at this point? This is what he's getting at. You're letting your life be about trying to get that ticket to first class. And believing that's going to make everything okay. And he says, hey, listen, the same event happens to everyone. In fact, first class hits the water first. So don't waste your life trying to get there, trying to make your life about gain. Because the plane that we're all on doesn't arrive, friend. It does not arrive. Let Solomon be your captain for a minute. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for flying with us. We will not arrive on time. We will arrive early, but not at our destination. Thank you for flying. Hey, the free alcohol doesn't matter anymore. Your life is a gift. Bring it to focus here. How much do you have to lose in this life? For some of us, a lot. God has really blessed us. And it's not fair. It's not democratic. How much do you have to lose in this life? Is it more than what you have to gain by dying? If it is, you have a major problem. Because you're going to die. And everything that you build your hope on under the sun is going to die with you. Nothing goes with you. And this is so good. Um, where are you storing your treasure? Let me, let me quote the Apostle Paul. He says, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1.21. Let's explore that. And this is our last point. Your, your life begins at death. Walk with me here. Here's what Ecclesiastes is not saying. Enjoying your life solves the problem that you're going to die. It does not. He never said that. You, if you have a great life, my hat's off to you. But that doesn't solve the problem that you and everything that you love will be in a dirt pile someday. Listen, we all long for eternity and we all long for permanence. Ecclesiastes 3.11. God has put eternity into our heart. We find it unacceptable to just live. We must find a reason to live. That's called worship. And it's meant to draw us in to a personal relationship with God. So I'm going to talk about two things 
um, as it pertains to your life and how it begins at death. The first is the resurrection. This is so important. When we understand that your, our life ends and that, in fact, our life is a gift, when, when that starts to hit home, the resurrection maybe looks different than it did when we looked at it at Easter, does it not? Here's what the resurrection is not. We just have to get this cleared up in the church. The resurrection is not a magic trick that proves that Jesus was God. Did you? I actually kind of believed that when I first came to faith. It's not like, oh, I'll show you guys. I'm coming back from the dead. Now what? Right? I win. It's not a magic trick that proves that Jesus was, in fact, God the Son. And it's not how God ends the story. Uh, this is the beginning of fulfillment. It's how God fulfills his promise to everyone. It's how he's, it's his promise of redemption is the beginning in the resurrection. So what is it? If it's not a magic trick and it's not the end, it is this. It's God the Father's validation of everything that Jesus said, everything that he did, everything that he promised. Um, if we understand that the wages of sin is death, if Jesus doesn't raise, we have another problem, or he does. Um, we can't believe him, and there is sin. Uh, so it is God the Father's validation and God the Son. And secondly, and this is big, it's, it's, it's the end of death. For everyone who chooses to, be, chooses to be buried with Jesus, it's the end of death. This is big, friends. For everyone who chooses by faith to be buried with Christ, it is, it is your funeral. Coming to faith is a bit of a eulogy. It's being buried with Christ. Repentance and faith. I'm trusting in Jesus, not only for the forgiveness of sin, but newness of life. Where am I getting this? I'm not making this up. Um, well, 1 Corinthians 15 says, oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's mocking death. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is the lion in this story. You always want to find Jesus in the story. He's the lion that was overcome by death so that you and I can be living dogs. And don't even worry about that. Just love that. Love that God has given this to us and to embrace this. Uh, so resurrection and where the resurrection comes to play in your life through faith is this, baptism. Did you know what a baptism is? It's a funeral and it's a birthday. Listen to the terminology that the Apostle Paul uses in Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Do you see the picture? You're going under the water. You're being buried with him. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, so that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So it's both a funeral and a birth. When everybody has the same end in life, which is to lose it, this must mean something to us. So through faith, we are both dying to self and giving our lives to God, I mean, raised in newness and life. So your faith unifies you to Christ. You are unified to him. Baptism is a sign and a seal of that and pictures and images that to us. In fact, we're going to have one at the end of September. If you've never been baptized or you're a new Christian, grab me. Let's talk about that. But if you've experienced death already in Christ, what does death have to you that you're afraid of? Yeah, of course we're afraid of it. We don't want to die but it's really just a change of address 
You need to know that. Um, God has been incredibly kind to me. Can I just tell you that? Can I give you just two instances of his kindness? Um, he let me close the eyes of my mom and dad in person. Right? This is a big thing for a kid. I know you're like, what? You're so young. But my parents died, right? And so this is God's kindness. My, my dad died when I was young. I was in my 20s. It was way too early. So that, I, that was really hard. My mom died not too long ago. But by God's grace, he let me fly out. My sister called me. Hey, um, mom's not going to be here in a couple days. I flew out there on a Sunday. Um, our pastors took over yet. But like, um, I got to pray with her. She was a believer. Read the Psalms to her. Um, close her eyes right? It's not pretty, friends. But what a grace it was. Um, that, that poem went through my head. Rage against the dying of the light. But intense grief. But I tell you what, I, I knew that life was real. Um, life was precious, and there's a clock. It changed how I looked at life. So let me just ask you a question, friend. And I don't mean this to bend your will. I don't mean this to... to, to I just don't. But are you prepared to die? You cannot read this text and not ask that question of yourself. Are you ready to die? Are your hopes and dreams anchored under the sun in this life? To the people, to the places, to the accomplishments, to the gifts that you've been given. Are you ready for that? See, we're to prepare for death by embracing Jesus. Are you doing that? We can say we're doing that, but practically, it's not changing. I'm living for life under the sun. So, as we close today, three things to think about. Um, One is your life ends, so number your days. Stop wasting your time. How? I don't know. Think it through. Each minute is a gift. Stop wasting your time. In fact, Psalm 90.12 tells us, number your days. Um, secondly, enjoy God's goodness every day. Just love him. Give him gratitude. Be earthly good to your friends and your neighbors. Help them to enjoy. They're going to ask you why in the midst of rough circumstances or a rough life you can do that. So enjoy his goodness. Be grateful. And just experience the resurrection. This is so key for you. Every day, remember that You've had your funeral. This is why the New Testament calls death sleeping. You've had your funeral and you are raised with him in the inner person. And you're going there. When you want to think about your future, you have to do two things. You have to look backwards to the resurrection and realize that's your future. You too will be raised with him. Eternity is physical. It's not harps and clouds. It's physical. So you're prepared for that. Are you walking in faith? Here's a better stanza than Thomas's poem. Jesus said it, John 11:25. He said, "I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die." Jesus's words, "Do you believe this?" Do you believe this? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Um, you are good. You are gracious. I pray that you would um, use these words to give us understanding, 
to give us security and hope in you. To give us joy in the resurrection because we are unified to you, Christ. Would you do that? Would you make us a people that does not fear death? Does not fear death. Because we have been judged and raised new in you. In the name of Jesus, amen.